Hello everybody and welcome to Volume 1, Issue 47 of the Cane and Rinse podcast. A collaboration between designer Craig Adams, developer Capybara and musician Jim Guthrie, Super Brothers, Sword and Sorcery EP is a none more indie, multiple high concept piece which questions certain conventions of game design while paying homage to others. Released first in 2011 for iOS devices, this oblique title intrigues and charms many but alienates others. Joining me, Leon Cox, this week, Tony Atkins. Hello. James Carter. Oh. And Josh Garrity. Hello. Hi, everybody. game's been around long enough to sort of go into our uh, history with it as such, um, other than to say that I've just played it for this show on PC. Um, you can each pre- proceed your I open per- comments. I purchased it on uh, on iOS, played about the first 20 minutes of it, and then just finished playing it on um, the PC. Okay, I got it as part of the humble indie bundle, whichever yeah. number it was. Yeah, uh, same for me. I can't remember. I, I tried to wrap my five. Yeah, maybe. I think it was five, and I think it was at the the point I pa- I paid about. I can't even remember, like ten dollars or something. For I had several of the games already, as you do with these things. But you mm. figure that you know the price you pay is probably worth it for any one of the individual games in the in the bundle. So, um, and Josh, 
Um, I bought it on I uh, iOS, completed it on iOS, but I liked it so much that I bought it on PC as well. Cool. Well, that's ruined that podcast. Then uh, <laughs> it's fine. It's okay. We can do we can do a critique as we go along. That's fine. So, uh, what is sword and sorcery? Um, Genre-wise, it's a bit of a hard one to explain, isn't it? Who'd like to have a go? It kind it kind of fits into the same camp as something like Sound Shapes, Res, and Child of Eden. In that it's not a music game, but it's a game about music. Mm. Um, so the kind of the concept if i was to describe it in terms of genres that everyone relates to i'd simply say it was a point and click uh, point and click adventure game but it it feels much more like you're explore something the uh, creators actually said themselves is it's like you're exploring an album um that these guys created and it's just this visual representation of the music that you're listening to Mm. Yeah, so it's uh, we're, we're probably going to dive all over the place with this one because it's the nature of it is a kind of a multimedia sort of experience mm. rather than just a standard game. But yes, uh, I guess if you had to pick a video game genre, it would probably be the point-and-click adventure, but it's very much worth saying that this is not uh, a game of inventory management and combine object no. with object. The puzzles are pretty much all self-contained, aren't they? Yeah. So uh, puzzles involve uh, observation, uh, deduction, logic. Uh, I think observation is probably the most prevalent type of puzzle. Yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing too complex in there, really. It's just more about what's there, click it, and see what happens. It's there's none of that. There's none of that Monkey Island business where they ask you to do something completely mental that you'd never be able to figure out for yourself. Mm. It is very simple. I think I think the complexity to the puzzles sometimes um, come from the time period of when you're meant to be doing it as well. There's a slightly a, a wider depth to um, just arriving to a place, clicking the environment, finding what's there. There's a bit more of a, a story that, that runs behind it and you need to be in the right place, maybe at the right time. In this case, a light moon, a dark moon, all this stuff will be explained. But there is some depth there rather than just you know point on the scenery and find what's there. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about the, the, the name and the development because I, I, I didn't know a huge amount about this. I'd heard a lot of stuff about it. It's a, a bit of a podcast favourite, partly because uh, some people involved are, uh, well, at least one person who's involved uh, in Robert Ashley, who plays uh, the one speaking character. Uh, Logfeller is a, a former podcast hero. <laughs> uh, the title refers to uh, Super Brothers. Now, when I didn't know anything about this game, I thought that Super Brothers would be kind of the starring characters and maybe the Super Brothers would be uh, a, a pair of uh, people who were going to be featured in a bunch of indie games. But no, uh, Super Brothers uh, are the brand of the designer, uh, Craig Adams. And I, I'm not sure if there's anyone else involved in Super Brothers, but every time I see an interview with... Super Brothers, or they refer to Super Brothers. It's always Craig Adams. Uh, Craig Adams speaking. Anyone know any more than that? No, I, I actually always did see it as a brand. I maybe it was just the way that it was laid out as uh, in in font or textile. Mm. It, to me, it felt very, very much like you know this was the brand of the company, and you know a bit like Pixel Pixel Junk. And these were the guys that were in developing. That's this. exactly what it's like. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I did see it as that, but. Um, yeah, you can't 
gather too much from what the title is because it's quite a convoluted title it seems yeah I mean there's the, the EP thing in there which mm. is uh, yeah that's a reference to the music there's a couple of other yeah. examples which are um, for Magnetic Billiards one of the Pickford Brothers games um, mm. when you put it on your iOS device it actually has the uh, title for the, the app as Blueprint um, and again right. that goes part and parcel with Magnetic Billiards as much as the Pickford Brothers name, name themselves does and the other mm. one is actually American McGee's um, Alice um, yeah, yeah, which we've talked about before having a, a, a name on the front that makes it recognisable and I suppose here uh, the idea is a bit like um, Mutant Blob's Attack to have Tales from Space in the front there so you can yes. create without having a franchise or a series of games you can create a a family of games, if you like, that all share something in common in terms of their design rather than necessarily the story or the characters or anything like that. Yeah, so if you visit the Super Brothers website, uh, it doesn't have a particularly sort of... It's all a bit oblique and, you know, kind of clever and uh, much like the game, really. Uh, and it doesn't go into too much detail. But having uh, read interviews with, with Craig Adams for this game, he seems like a he seems like a sound guy. He seems down to earth. He doesn't seem he doesn't have the, the Phil Fish or John Blow uh, air about him, shall we say. Um, but the other confusion about this is that this is a development um, in collaboration with uh, Capybara Games, who I'm actually quite a fan of. I've only played two of their previous games, now three. Um, wasn't familiar with their early mobile work, but um, from the point they released Critter Crunch on iOS and did an absolutely beautiful port of it to PlayStation Network, that was very much that was a game that was released by Disney on um, iOS devices, and it seemed very much like a you know sort of traditional um, pick up and play mobile handheld casual puzzle game but actually it's a really cool match sort of well not match three but that type of game very much influenced by um, magical drop and um then they went on to do a game called Might and Magic Clash of Heroes, which you can get for, which came out on DS first, but you can get on XBLA and PSN, um, and that's a really interesting mashup of RPG and puzzle game, a bit like Puzzle Quest, but uh, kind of more tactical, more in depth. Um, and so it seems like they've actually done the coding for this game, whereas it was designed by Craig Adams or Super Brothers. Mm, there's, but there's not too much there in the history to. The really represent what this game is like, you know, a magical card game um, and a drop game. It, it's I don't know. It's, it's it seems like there's a it feels like there should be a deeper foundation of it's might and magic, not magic might, the gathering. Yes, I should, I um, but um, <laughs> it feels like there should be a deeper kind of background um, into point and click and or something like that because it, it's quite accomplished of what it does. But mm. so looking back on their their back catalog, there's no indication that you know, they should come up with something like this. But yeah, it's a sign of a good company that has variations in abilities and talents. Well, I'm interested in the relationship um, in that you know this is designed and has the branding of Super Brothers, but has also has Cappy on it. And Cappy seem to be you know a team they've worked for Ubisoft and with with a, a famous. Uh, well, fairly famous uh, franchise or IP in Might and Magic, and they've done this, yeah, this cutesy casual puzzle game in Critter Crunch uh, and a few other things. And yeah, it seems to be a strange mix. I, I wonder how they kind of got together. Um, it might be that everyone's everyone involved is Canadian, including uh, Jim Guthrie, uh, who's obviously been involved with this from the start. A singer songwriter, been around producing his own lo-fi stuff since the mid '90s. Um, and uh, this was the first time I think he'd done anything as part of a video game, but he was known, and I wonder again if this, again, he's Canadian, 
and I know that some of his earlier music was produced using uh, Codemasters uh, PlayStation MTV Music Generator, which was, of course, a, <laughs> a sort of sequel to, I don't know if anyone remembers, but Music in 1999 and Music 2000. Um, these were PlayStation um, utilities. It was quite a rare mm-hmm. sort of thing in those days to, to see a, a PlayStation boxed disc that was not a game. It was actually uh, some kind of fun home music creator. Uh, and he's actually used this and, and he's continued to use the PS2 MTV music generator right up until this game, which I think is really interesting. So as regards to the Super Brothers brand, as we said, uh, Craig Adams himself said, there's a, actually a very specific reason why the brand exists, which is basically that my twin fathers, in terms of inspiration, I guess you could say, would be Steve Jobs and Shigeru Miyamoto. There's a reason why Super Brothers is called Super Brothers, but there's a reason why it tries to present itself as a bit sophisticated and a bit music-inspired. <laughs> so that sort of clears that up, really. Um, and, yeah, it pretty much says that it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, towards the end of the game, obviously, uh, Kane and Rince, spoilers. Sometimes we forget to say it, but you know the drill. Uh, there are two men appear, in uh, two characters appear, and it says, if you click on them, it says, uh, these two crazies claim to have created this universe or something. But weirdly, there's two of them on both sides of the screen, I guess, mm-hmm. in case, depending on which way you've gone. So there's actually four men on the screen. Um and again, so there's this idea that it is the Super Brothers, but I don't even know if Craig Adams has a brother. Uh, but it does seem that Super Brothers is, to all intents and purposes, this one, this one person. We know that as of March this year, uh, the iOS version had been downloaded about 350,000 times, which is pretty decent. Um, I don't know how many times it's been downloaded in the uh, six months or so since then, um, or how many copies must be out there now on PC via the humble indie bundle and just general Steam purchases, but we've got to be looking at well into the half a million to a million bracket now, I would have thought. Yeah, I I can't remember the the stats of what they said, but the humble indie bundles normally do ridiculous game busters. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, yeah, it, it, it must be within probably the the million mark by now mm, mm. um yeah so sorry jumping around a bit as i said we might with this rather unusual subject uh jim guthrie said on uh sorry Al- craig adams said of the involvement of jim guthrie uh from the start and in, in this game uh one of the concepts of the project and this comes from my angle working with Jim, musician Guthrie, uh, responsible for the original uh, soundtrack, is that we wanted to make an album that you could hang out in or explore on your portable music device. I do actually enjoy listening to an album on my portable music player, and Swarcery is that, but it's not just an album. You can hop in and spend time there and kind of hang out and explore it. So it makes sense. It's kind of natural, as long as you ignore how other people are treating the device. So yeah, high concepts going on here. Multiple high concepts. Um... The title screen actually features a, a vinyl, a spinning vinyl record, which you can interact with, spin around, scratch. <laughs> Can't quite scratch <laughs> it. And the, this vinyl record appears in several forms inside the game as well. And in, in one location, it's pretty much just hanging there in the air. It's so big you can't even see all of it. Yeah, it's almost like a cliff face. Mm. Uh, you travel to side B of the EP every time you dream, every time you go to sleep and large chunks of the game can only be experienced and completed while you're on side B of the EP and your character is 
dreaming and sleepy but confusingly some of the lo there are dream versions of many of the locations as well as separate mm -hmm. locations and you have to go back to the dream version of the location where you start dreaming <laughs> to get back to side a and the real world yeah we should say at that point you you're also characters are, are able to to move between not just your, yourself your character but other characters in the game are able to move between the the real world and the dream world and items are also able to be transported between the two. So an item might be lost, but it's in the dream world. So you would then have to go into the dream world. So go to sleep and, and go and try and find the item there. Um, so it plays a lot with, with that, that aspect of things. There aren't that many actual items in the game. There's, there's, a, there's a key that you open a door with. Um, there are the, the trigons, which obviously resemble the, uh, the, the f f Triforce. Triforce. Um, uh, there's a, a few other things but um, the only thing that you regularly have in your inventory and again the, the game doesn't explain this at any stage uh, are the little mushrooms mm -hmm. uh, that you can, or toadstools that you can pick up which um, fill they fill your health meter but I think they also facilitate a couple of little easter eggs and secrets but I'm not sure I managed to discover them for myself but I read something about a well you can go down the well if if you eat a mushroom various things like this um, before one of the boss fights I ate a mushroom and I had some hallucinogenic things floating around me but it's just kind mm. of an effect to show that you'd eaten the mushroom there wasn't any easter egg per se to discover there it was mm. more just to to signify that you'd eaten a mushroom and I think there's a steam achievement for it as well so before we get into the story, uh, I thought it's worth quoting the game itself. Um, when you first boot it up and go through the, the initial stages, it uh, Sword and Sorcery uh, tells you a few things that it is. Uh, and again, you know, this is these are the kind of lines which may send you running screaming at the sheer pretentiousness of it all, or it may go, oh, it may make you go, oh, interesting. So Sword and Sorcery is, according to itself, uh, it was released the vernal equinox in 2011 shortly before the end of the world uh, inspired by Miyamoto Mechna obviously Prince of Persia uh, Chahi obviously another world I think I think it sh uh, shares the palette with another world um, and Ueda-san obviously of Eco Shadow of the Colossus uh, Sword and Sorcery is a mythopoetic psychocosmology of Robert E. Howard or inspired by I should say uh, it's a link to the past Carl Jung's Red Book a crude haiku about life, love and death a choice cut of myth and dreams created with a broad literate audience in mind and was originally going to be called Poop Sock <laughs> and apparently that's <laughs> true so uh, who uh, do you think all of our listeners are familiar with the concept of the Poop Sock? I think if not they should just Try Google search about safe search or, on the Urban Dictionary or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yes, okay. It, it's so. rather incongruous to be talking about a game like Sword and Sorcery and then have to describe in graphic detail what poop socking is. So I wonder why. <laughs> and, al and also a game that's so you know it's it's a, it's a relatively short game and a poop socking is is for long games by and large. I suppose. It's the the month long thing that we'll talk about later. Maybe that's it. You, you actually sit there waiting You're for to the... sit there listening to music. It's just, for... But it's odd because that's the opposite tone to everything else the game puts out there. It's I mean, well, this was originally originally going to be called Poop Sock when he started writing it back in you know, two thousand and 
six or whatever it was so you know a lot changed didn't it mm. apparently a lot a lot changed in the last few months of development as well um some quite sort of fundamental things so uh right so you play uh, a silent protagonist the scythian now uh, a little research tells me that the scythians are a real historical earthbound people yeah uh, yeah yeah from uh well essentially the middle east um nearest place that the wikipedia points us is uh, iran uh, so that's yeah. the reason Region. And that um, there are nomadic people um, around in the sort of seventh to late BC times, seventh uh, century BC to late BC times. Uh, and I suppose the the fact that they're from the around Iran or thereabouts uh, before it was Iran um, kind of links into the Jordan Mechna Prince of Persia thing. Um, and uh, they are people of the Caucasus Mountains, which I, I think that's the right pronunciation, uh, yeah. which are Azerbaijan, which is obviously in the same Eurasian sort of area. Uh, so it, it's odd when I was first playing this, because my history is not what it should be, my, my global history, I was thinking that this was all fantasy stuff, but it's not. It has its roots in some real real world locations and myths if, and, and indeed some real some genuine history as well. Yeah, the the other aspect of it is that the Caucasus Mountains obviously is where the term Caucasian comes from, uh, because they they literally divide or are spread along the divide between um, Asia and Europe, uh, as as you said, Eurasian, um, and uh, there's there's references to that, but also that I think this the style of the game um, kind of has that feel to it. You've got the the Scythian um, character or Scythian um, character who is who has journeyed across these mountains to what what seems to be quite a familiar uh, lush green maybe european um mm. sort of a place um so it's got that sort of bleeding through it in several different ways um so yeah it it's very unspecific but but seems to be indicating that there is some as you say background in history and, and geography about this setting and these people that, that are in the game so who'd like to, before we continue with the, the, the quest such as it is, uh, who'd like to describe the art? Uh, it's it's a very minimal, minimalistic pixel art look. Um, the characters themselves, like somebody's face would just be one pixel and their mm -hmm. beard yep. would be like a couple of pixels. Um, and it works really well because... Um, I think it wants you to look at the background more than the characters. So the char the the actual background environments look more detailed because that um, minimalistic, like tiny little pixels building the world actually makes the world look a lot uh, more detailed. But these characters, there's <laughs> hardly anything to them. Um, mm. uh, I like it a lot. I don't know what you guys mm. feel about it. I like it very much. Um, yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a really good mashing of uh, retro style graphics and some modern techniques. The game uh, actually, although the the palette is quite muted for the most part, there's a different palette for day and night. As I say, that that's the thing that reminds me of Another World or or Out mm. of This World, the Eric Shahi game. It looks very much like the same colours, but 
um the actual there are there is actually a use of a lot of colors in certain special effects and certain moments that uh, that an old 8-bit game wouldn't have been able to do and certain lots lots of um incidental details like little rabbits and deers and um fireflies buzzing about and uh, the reflection in the water and and all that stuff and yeah i think it's uh, it's extremely effective and also although the characters faces can't express anything uh they've made a lot of effort with the animation so there's some very uh touching little animations such as uh, your character uh, taking her boots off by the fire uh down, you know putting her pack down there's uh he she hugs logfellow when she comes back from uh outside in the dream world and and things like that and that's all very sweet yeah i think it's easy to describe this as oh it's a bit like an 8-bit game and mm. but it's nowhere near as simplistic as that it, at times i got like pitfall kind of flashbacks because you know it's screen to screen and, and there's certain things in the environment you're moving around but um it's it's so much more complex than that so it the easy way is okay yeah sure it, it looks kind of 8-bit in the in the fact that there's blocky graphics and you can't really see what's going on and there's a lot of i'm using my imagination at this point to mm. you know em, embellish what the character could be doing mm. but at the same time it's every bit as next gen as you know a next gen console game is because it, it feels like they take that, that bare bones 8-bit idea and, like you say, add so much tone and layer to it, such as, um, as you said, like the dust elements drifting in the sky, reflections. Um, the the muted colour palette is, is something that feels very much of like a modern-day you know, standard. Um, and, you know, the, the, this, it plays a lot with um, the cycles of the moon and that makes a huge effect on, on what the environment looks like. So, you know, in daylight, it could look, you know, very bright and colourful and they say deers and things jump, jumping through the grass. But during dust periods, it, it has a completely different tonal change to it. And, you know, it does actually affect the mood of the game and the mood as the player playing for it. So very clever stuff but you know roaring fires and stuff like that but it, it's more of a, use your imagination at the same time being quite unique uh, to this kind of day and age um it has a feeling of composition that mm. something like a, you know an older 8-bit game like bionic commando wouldn't have it it just feels like every element is constructed specifically to create a tone and an atmosphere and the lighting and the color and everything it's not just there to look cool it's there for a reason to create an emotion and a mood which very few games that use that kind of art style are actually trying to do. Most games that use that art style are just trying to be, oh, look at us, we're being all retro and stuff, isn't that cool? But this game is going mm. for something very different. The, the, the way I can describe it as well, there, there's a depth to the environments. Although, you know, it's it can feel quite basic, once you add all those elements together, like, say, the, you know, the, the subtle changes in, in the mist, you know, drifting across by the lakes and stuff, it feels like that's a layer upon a layer upon a layer, and that, you know, time you actually get all the way back to the moon, that could be three or four layers back in what the environment, you know, ironically, this would look fantastic probably as a 3DS game, because mm -hmm. they could, you know, phase all that stuff and, and give it some depth, but... Yeah, it's 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 got depth, it's got tone, um, utterly unique. I think if we we were kind of messing around at the start and just looking at some of the um, the Google images of this game, and you know they're very much unique to this game. If you see one screenshot, you can say, oh yeah, but that's the three sword and sorcery. Mm. Um, you know, uh, and it's not just a you know, uh, it's such a cliche, but it's not just a guy with a gun in his hand or or whatever. It's yeah, yeah, that is that game. I think that's the thing when, when, as you say, Tony, you look at um, 
images and paintings people have created from the characters in this game, they've they've put in a lot of extra detail that just isn't there but is in keeping with the tone of the game and therefore you look at it and even though it, the character might not resemble exactly what you see on screen because obviously that's quite pixelated you still recognize that because the game's done a good job of setting a tone um, that everything adheres to. Um, I might be reaching a bit but I wondered if the the look of the characters and the fact they are so sort of you can see who they are and who they're meant to be and, and learn a bit about them even from the way they look but they're quite uh, they're lacking the sort of detail we expect in terms of facial animations i mean there is no face let's face it it's four four pink pixels on on the screen um but i wonder if that's deliberate because the game the story seems to be a, a myth or a legend about an, an older time being retold um so therefore the details of who these characters are is much less important than the story being told. I mean, that's myths and legends lose a lot of the detail, but it's the the tone and the idea and the message that comes across that is important. Most of the characterization comes from the tone, which uh, we you get in in the very first session, and um, you will if if you know if you're interested in what's going on, and it's also very useful. Uh, you'll keep digging into this tome because it reveals the uh, the inner monologue of all the characters in the game, including, I think it's the first character you interact with before you've even taken control of uh, the, the Scythian uh, woman, is the archetype, who is a sort of suit-wearing, cigar-smoking man, who's kind of your sort of... He's kind of your guide, your storyteller. He's a bit like uh, Rod Serling in The Twilight Zone or Alfred Hitchcock Presents, that kind of thing. He's the architect from The Matrix is what I thought of. <laughs> as yeah. much as I'd like to banish the, the, the two films <laughs> yeah. that he appears in. The Explainatron. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But it also takes down that fourth wall barrier, doesn't it? You're not so much playing a game. as the You're playing the game along with some of the characters like they they make you feel a part of the experience rather than you know i am the avatar um because yeah. she addresses you um you know as as and what, what she does within the environment she kind of says oh well, we've discovered this rather than mm. i've discovered this so it's it's projected back onto the player and then the archetype himself is is merely you know the the full embodiment of that about well you know as and when you play certain chapters about well maybe you need to take a break kind of like you know this it'll still be back here and a lot of that refers to the whole thing as a as a social experiment yes as well yes there's, I, there's a lot of social networking stuff that i know caused some controversy because of the extreme amount of tweets that you can emit from the game if you choose to i did it once or twice but i figured if i did it for every single one people are going to start really getting annoyed at me unfollowing yeah yeah, yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, even the very opening, you you, you kind of um, you you click on this guy at the start of each uh, of the four sessions that the game's divided up into, and yeah, he pretty much sort of explains kind of what's going to be happening and what you're going to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, not he doesn't give away the solutions to the puzzles at this point, although the book kind of does that later in the game. Uh, but yeah, it's a very it's again it's a, it's another thing about the game that's kind of. I'm, you know, finding it difficult to find a an analog in gaming of of the way that the presentation works and the the structure of this game is fairly unique. Well, it it follows the same lines as something. It's it's once again it feels very much like a man, yeah, you know, one man's ambition of story he wants to tell. You know, um, yeah, it, 
you know, this we can mention Fez, I think, as like an allegory of a bit what this game is like. You know, it's it's a, a vision from a, a creator. Uh, on this, there's what there's one there's a few people that were involved with this project, but it feels very much like it was a an indie project with a bunch of guys that had this vision and, and got it onto paper rather than a big budget game or even a, a medium sized kind of arcade budget game where lots mm. of people have come in and, and tampered and said that you know it needs to be a bit like this, a bit like this, this will hit your market demographic. It's yeah we're gonna make this very strange compartmentalized and un- yeah. into development departments this Brave, very much feels like a stuff. that's yeah. why I use the word very deliberately collaboration in the intro yeah. because it clearly is a collaboration rather than something that's been focus tested or whatever. Yeah, but I, I think, you know, if we, if we throw some games out there, something like Fairs, something like Braid, I think you get the general feel of this game it has a slightly odd tone all of its own that is unique to this game and that's why sometimes it's hard to, to dig in and describe because what it does is pretty unique to itself. Yeah, I think um, I suppose that, 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 that idea that it is that very sort of, you know, um, slightly sort of uh, niche indie uh, high-minded sort of thing mm. might might put some people off but I actually and I, I was actually concerned going into this game that this was this was purely going to be an exercise in making the most you know the most sort of um, oblique indie game possible um, and uh, but actually there's there's quite a lot of warmth in there that won me over I think it's a bit self-aware as well. It's not totally po-faced all the way yeah, through it. Exactly. It yeah, exactly. It will take the piss out of itself yeah. on a regular basis. Yeah. yeah, even with a lot of its dialogue, um, you know, I, I'm not ashamed to admit, quite often I was like, I have no idea what this phrase is, is has meant to mean or has any significance to what I'm actually doing within this story. But it's kind of you know, brilliantly brilliantly put down onto pen to paper and in a weird way it makes sense. But sometimes like your character will say, like, well, I don't understand what that guy just said, <laughs> but I think I'll just carry on with my adventure or something mm. along those lines. It helps it helps you swallow some of the slightly pretentiousness of this game, having that willingness to go, Okay, this is a bit silly, but you know, stick with it guys. So in session one, uh, your first quest is to, and where you learn the ropes, is to go and get this uh, so-called Megatome, which is a giant book. Uh, And in doing so, you awaken the deathless spectre of Mingitor, and Mingitor being a place. And you later find out that this deathless spectre, which is uh, a sort of black floating spirit with an antlered skull for a head, then it's it's one of those uh, sort of cyclical snake eating its own tail quests in that uh, if you hadn't gone and got the book in the first place you wouldn't have awoken the spectre is that right uh, yeah. yeah yeah very much so um, and um but you need the book to to banish the spectre back to the uh, endless whirling void or whatever it's called yeah I, I don't think the um the allegory continues through the game but at this point um Mingitor is uh, a rough translation of uh, a real mountain, well actually mm. a real dormant volcano in mm. in the Caucasus Mountains um, called Mount Elber and it, the, the idea kind of is that this dormant volcano has is obviously got the potential to, to become active again and like this there's a dormant evil in Mingitor mm. and your character goes and in an attempt to try and rid the world of the evil actually unleashes it and then the game follows from there so, so is the certain... idea maybe that the the people of uh 
the Scythians of Caucasus back in um, in the you know 500 BC or whatever would have actually believed that this volcano, rather than the scientific view that it's a natural thing, mm. uh, may have in, imbued it with you know anthropomorphized it. Is that yeah, absolutely, much. definitely. Yeah. yeah, so they'll they'll have uh, imagined it to be some kind of sentient evil or or some kind of powerful being that needed to be either. Uh, contended with or appeased in some way to, right. to yeah. settle Hist- History yeah, tells us about it. the sacrifices and stuff that the bases mm. of volcanoes and stuff to keep the, the beast at bay so mm. very much so uh, So that that is pretty much session one so um, at the end of a session uh, yes uh, the, the archetype sort of says oh well done you know you're doing really well in, in more flowery language than that um, perhaps you'd like to you know go off and do something else for a while and come back later and see what session two has in store for you and the Scythian um, session two is introduced uh, with the suggestion that it will involve psionics cryptozoology and miracles uh, which when you first read it you think oh crikey but actually what this boils down to is that uh, you're given an ability um, which is the song of sorcery yes so the the idea is that um in in going into uh, Mingitaw and, and getting the the megatome, uh, the Scythian has proved herself and has um, has been granted the power to um, to sing this enchanting song that will affect the world around her if she sings it in places where there is already magic or or you know there there is something mm-hmm. there that can be affected by this song. So it be- it becomes your job to try and put right having unleashed this evil from the mountain uh, by working out the the mystical solution to the problem. So uh, this involves, um, and the the reference to cryptozoology uh, is to do with a meadow full of sheep, but this is where you learn that uh, you need to send these uh, sort of uh, baby-like alien spirit sprites (laughs) back to the sky. They reminded me a lot of the um, the the little uh, forest spirits in Princess Mononoke. Um, ah, yes. What they called? I've forgotten what they called. Tony, come on, you're po. a fan. The what? Don't they like pose? <laughs> no. that sounds like um, Teletubbies. But um, <sighs> I've yeah, I mean, they are. Yeah, they are just they're they're very kind of, odd creatures. Yeah, but they float and uh, they are called the Kadama. There we go. There we yes. go. Yes, they are. They do look like the Kadama, um, the, the yeah, the good, the good forest mm-hmm. spirits. Uh, so the these are there's a there's a clue in the location where there are these, and uh, which is a sort of a kind of a stream of bubbles. Uh, stream of bubbles, stream yeah, okay. Of bubbles yeah. coming up from either a patch of ground or a patch of water, or you know wherever the spirit is hiding underneath the uh, this this what you can see on the screen, I suppose. And generally, for each uh, for each session that you have to solve, or actually two of these are in the same session, session three. But uh, for each uh, puzzle that you need to solve, you generally have to find around five of these sprites in different locations. And seeing this stream of bubbles is a clue that there is a puzzle to be solved on this screen, generally involving the song of sorcery. So, so the gameplay mechanic itself is really very simple. Um, you know, it being a point and click esque adventure. Um, you find yourself in the area, and like we've hinted, if you see a stream of bubbles within these areas, you can bet your right arm that there's there's something that needs to be solved. So uh, the main base of what you do is that if you click on yourself or if you 
if you're playing the iOS one, if you tab hold yourself on yourself, um, you'll bring this kind of big white light bubble around you, which then gives you ability then to interact with the environment. And within that environment, you need to find bits. Um, so it can be. We we haven't really talked about the sound, but there. For instance, if you're in this area and there's um, trees surrounding you, uh, and there you need to find w which trees have the the what are they called? Have we decided in the end? The, the, which trees have the spirits embodied within them? Um, so, uh, and quite often they, you'll have to find there's a, a pattern and a rhythm to which trees. They are um, sylvan sprites. Sylvan sprites. There we go. You you need to find a pattern for which trees um, you need to click on first. So say there's maybe ten trees in the environment. Five of those are the the things you need to click on, and there will be a order in which you need to click on those. But um, you know, to go with the the musicality of this game, um, quite often you'll find yourself um, within an area where there's a number of waterfalls flowing down, and instead of clicking on them, you can, uh, in my instance, move the mouse left and right, and which plays the waterfall almost as a guitar, strums it, it like strums a harp, it, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you strum these, and once again, you just pick which ones are in the correct order, and that releases the spirits. It's not overly complex. Um, no, it's 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 more about memorising the order, which you can even do by writing it down. Um, if you go out of sequence, it will cancel the sequence. So it's really just um, do like a rewind sound. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's simple, but I found it quite frustrating that for me, and it may be my lack of musical uh, adeptness here, it hmm. became trial and error. Now, for example, uh, one of the first ones you do in, in session two, um, there are three birds flying around this uh, tree nest, it's called, or, or nest house. Um, yeah. And they're, they're different colours. One's red, one's blue, one's yellow. The idea is that these are floating around and obviously drawing your attention to them. That much I got. I couldn't find any way of figuring out what order I had to click these in, shy of trial and error. Mm -hmm. That's not a puzzle to me. Mm. Now, um, Josh, I think you, you made the point that, that actually you have to listen to the, the notes they're playing a little bit. Because the idea is, in all these uh, circumstances, what you're doing is you are playing a note or a chord with each of the, the presses you do on the screen. Mm. Um, and, and certainly when you click on, on one of the birds, it, it plays a note, and you click on the next one, it plays a note. Um, I think in most cases there are multiple different orders in which you can click them. Certainly in the case of the, the sheep, and I think possibly in the case of the birds, there are multiple combinations that will work. But three birds, you have to click them in an order. There are six different possibilities. Mm -hmm. It mean it meant for me it was a bit of trial and error. I don't know if there were musical clues there that I should have picked up on. I kind of expected to be able to go into the megatome and read through what the archetype was saying, or what Logfellow was saying, or what the girl was saying, and see some kind of clue. Um, mm. a, a bit like in Near, when you're playing through, there's a section of the game that's a bit like a um, text adventure. And you're able to pick up on clues from what's being written in front of you mm -hmm. because the colours were mentioned in order out of context, but in that order. And I, mm. I started looking around the megatone to try and work out, particularly for the sheep, because there's eight sheep on screen and you have mm. to click them in what appears to be a, a particular order. Now, I think probably there are multiple solutions, but 
it felt like trial and error and I didn't think it needed to be. I thought they had built into the game ways that they could have given you a hint to avoid it feeling like, no, that's wrong, no, that's wrong, and two minutes later, okay, that's right, but I don't feel clever because of it. Well, with the sheep, I found a pattern because it, cause the way the sheep are positioned, you click one, then you skip the one next to it and click that one, skip the one next to it, and then you go back to the beginning mm. and press the ones you missed out before. And so each one had like a pattern and it felt like it was following almost like a piano key type thing yeah, going I mean, on. With the, with the trees, it felt like what size they were determined yeah. which order you click them in. So it was smallest. I think it was smallest first and then the largest mm. last. Spoilers, and stuff yeah. like that. The <laughs> sheep were lighter and darker, I think, as well. So I think there the piano were, key but, thing may... But, yeah. but again... Um, there's no hint there to say it should be every other one as opposed to because in some cases with bushes it's just from left to right actually in several cases it's left to right uh, yeah. with the waterfalls it's sort of in a circle around the screen sometimes mm. the size of the waterfall or the tree trunk will give you a clue sort of is a puzzle but I suppose you could argue that it's a little yeah arbitrary whether as to whether you you know you might get it right first time or you might bumble around yeah. um, but it's a puzzle more of, as I say, of sort of observation and, and trying to get... I, I think, you know, there there maybe are some, on some of the screens, some really subtle clues as to what's going on, whether it be, whether it be musical or to do with animation or, or, or something. I certainly didn't... The only one that I remember actually it taking me a few goes to bumble through with trial and error was the very last um, clicking on trees um, for the for the dark moon trigon. All the others seem to have a, even if I didn't actually, even if I couldn't express it to you now, they felt like they had a logic to them. Uh, yeah, I guess the thing a is... A visual for, logic, maybe? Yeah, for, for some of them, there's one where there's um, there's a double rainbow in the sky, um, mm. and it actually says rub. So obviously that would be a no-brainer on an iOS device. You start rubbing the... Yeah, we should mention that. Some screens actually uh, give you very explicit clues with uh, by putting text in white on the screen. Yeah. Uh, it's, just it's just Normally one just word. one verb, yeah. yeah. But I, I just figured that if they were doing that for some puzzles, why wouldn't they necessarily... Mm. If I was getting stuck on a puzzle, call me narcissistic. I tend to think it's probably not my fault that I'm getting stuck in a puzzle. <laughs> I guess everyone yeah. kind of feels like that because you, you project your frustration onto the game. But Well, to, to back you up a little, I mean, I, I, I can see both sides of the story here. I, I think, to, to me, I had the same problems with you. You know, Quite often I was like, well, it seems somewhat arbitrary of what I need to be doing at this point um, and more trial and error than puzzle-like. But then, you know, a puzzle is a puzzle. It's, you know, if, if I was to walk into an area and just have everything and it went, yay, well done, you've done it, I probably would have felt, slightly cheated in as well but like you say there's better ways via the the you know the book that they give you in your satchel to uh, maybe give you some more deeper hints but I, I think some of that comes from that I don't think the puzzles themselves were particularly anything to write home about I, there's many aspects absolutely many aspects I love about this game but I thought the general gameplay terms of doing the puzzles felt more like it was there just to extend the experience and find the 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 oh, I've forgotten it already. The the sprites. Um, the, the sprites. sprites yeah. Yes, I, find the sprites and give me that euph euphoric feeling of okay, yeah. like I can now progress out of this area. But there was nothing particularly amazing about any of the puzzles which were uh, presented to the player. It felt like a game of many ideas, but that 
for as long as it was in development seemed to be one that kind of like well it's fairly simple I, th I think what they did do well was um, bring music into the game a lot more because whether it felt trial and error or not you you definitely when you got it right you remembered oh, yes. the notes yeah. that you'd heard and, and then the, the sprite popped up and what you have to do is click on the sprite three times and each time it plays a note as it's replying to the song that you've sung it is supposed to be the idea I think um, and so it definitely brought the music into the game a lot as, and, and I really like that about it but yeah mechanically the, the, the puzzles I definitely wouldn't call it a puzzle game is, is what I'd say mm -hmm. um, the, the puzzles had they given you a hint probably wouldn't have seemed like puzzles it would have just seemed like a set of instructions without the hint it felt a little trial and error to me which kind of isn't what I think necessarily a puzzle should be but also, also the layout of the puzzles. I mean, I I did find myself going multiple screens. Just well, you know, although you could read the text and get the general feel of where you need to be going. We haven't talked about the moon phase yet, and there's certain We're not things. There yet. Yeah, we'll there's certain there things that you could only do at, at certain periods in the time, mm. uh, in the game. And I did find myself on a couple of occasions just wandering screens, going, nope, nothing here. Nope, nothing here. Clicking around. Nope, nothing here. And occasionally it was my own, you know, just not noticing. Um, maybe a reflection in the water. Um, As I say, it was yeah. It's a lot of the puzzles and a lot of the gameplay are. It's it's about observation. It's very mm -hmm. much about observation. I'm talking about having to go multiple screens, a sort of tangential point. But um, when you're completing the puzzles on the PC, certainly it changes how you interact with the screen. Because yeah. when you're not in the um, sing your song of sorcery mode. Um, you, you click and pan, so you click and hold and drag the screen around with the mouse pointer, which is mimicking how you would use it on a um, on an iOS device. Um, but when you go into um, song of sorcery mode, obviously the clicking is interacting with, be it bushes or or ducks or whatever the whatever the the piece of the surrounding world that you're interacting with is. So instead of that, it changes just to. To, to moving your mouse and when you reach the edge of the screen it will start panning. You um, can on e in either mode though use WASD to move the screen about. Yeah, yeah. So. But be because of the the games intentionally giving you kind of a... It didn't want to be explicit in what you had to do because it wanted you to discover a lot of this for yourself. Um, a game will get to it when the moon phases come in but not giving you instructions and potentially having to have a big gap between playing an hour of the game and the next hour of the game controls can or for me were kind of an issue in terms of I just every time I sat down with the game I felt like I had to relearn those differences and so I'd click and start trying to pan when I was in song of sorcery mode and then remember oh okay yeah drag around the screen and it just lifted me out a bit from the experience. Mm. I just used the keys for screen uh, yeah. moving and just use the pointer for uh, yeah I mean it, it, to describe the character movement you can either double tap uh, double click on where you want uh, the Scythian to go or you can uh, click and hold um, and she goes slightly faster if you do that I believe As I was saying in some respects it's a shame that they just didn't go the full hog with the PC version and you know if just WS or WASD um, hmm. I'm not sure I'm not sure around. that works I mean it's point and click it makes sense but 
Yeah, because I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a point in like the game it controls most like, or the games it controls most like are the LucasArts adventures. Mm. It would, it wouldn't. I mean, I know in in modern times they've uh, they've changed to a more direct control system that type of game. Looking at what Telltale have done, but I think the the double click to where you want to go. I mean, there's there's only a couple of points in this game where you actually need to move at any particular speed mm. uh, and that's when you're being chased by the gogolithic mass at the end uh, which is the aforementioned deathless spectre um, no I, I yeah I, I don't think that would have worked for me the, the backgrounds aren't that would work if the backgrounds had very obvious um, kind of uh, grid like paths but they don't because the 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 environments are quite organic there's a lot of sort of paths going you know curving off so it's easier just to double tap on the other end of the path and watch the Scythian uh, find her own way also yeah I think the pace of the game works perfectly fine I've, I've, I've seen a few people saying oh, I wish there was a run button and <laughs> it drives me crazy because well you know the pace of the game is just the pace of the game you're not meant to be running through the environment well, it is a very slow game and yeah that's, as that's says, there, there effectively is a, a run option um, because either by clicking and holding on the specific point or scrolling to the edge of the screen. And what it, I did really like that any um, transition point at the edge of a screen where you're going onto the next screen, they have little uh, blue dots sort of moving around on the ground. I can't really explain it any better than that. Um, if you double click on there, so if even if you've just come onto the screen, scroll to the other side, double click on there, and the Scythian will run as fast as she can to the other end of the screen. So... Yeah. It does have the option. It's just obviously we're used to using WASD and then hold shift to run or whatever it might be, you know. Um, and as Leon says, I, I agree. I don't think a, that direct a control system would have worked. Um, it's just that in what it, I think the game intentionally wanted to be a little bit ob, not obscure. But obscure sounds like a bad thing. It didn't want to hold your hand. It wanted you to really dive into the experience and try and discover for yourself. And in doing that. It meant that I struggled a little bit with some of the things yeah, were perhaps it's, it's, a bit more obscure. It's odd. I think that's unique probably to you or to anyone that's played the game on you know both platforms. Because to me, you know, I, although I had an experience with the iOS one, it was you know a short enough you know experience that I didn't I, I I retained very little memory of it. So just the the mouse controls seemed to work perfectly fine. You know, if you could you can zoom the camera pretty far out, um, and I never really found myself. In a, in a position where I was in the sword and sorcery mode, I'm like, oh, I just can't quite get to that thing on the right-hand side of the screen because quite often you go to the centre of the screen and most of the environment was you know, was contained within where you mm. need to be. The other fundamental difference in control between the handheld and uh, desktop versions is the uh, flipping the uh, orientation of mm. your iOS device for combat, um, which... You can you can see the, the 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 remnants of it on the PC version because you can see that the combat the the way it takes place on screen is very much in a, a vertical aspect ratio, um, in in portrait rather than landscape. But it doesn't actually make any difference in reality. No, and what you do on the PC is right mouse click to um, to enter yeah. fight Initiate. mode. Yeah. Um, and again, that's another little thing that. We'll get to it later. I keep saying this, but <laughs> if you're having a gap of ten days and playing the game, and you suddenly need to enter fight modes, that that's it's not explained anywhere that that's the controls. And there's right, very little combat in this game. There's yeah, like like five fights or something. But equally there. well, if you're coming back into the game and the first thing you've got to do is go into a fight, all mm. right, it's it's not time sensitive. It's not going to affect your game. But sitting there trying to think, right, what left click, right click, what do I do? 
I struggled a little bit when I came back to the game. Well, I, well, I know you and Leon have played it very different styles. Because Leon, you've played it, haven't you, quite a bit over a, a short period of time. And by sounds, James, you played it over a, a fairly long, mm. drawn-out period of time. You, you, James played it the honest way. Um, well, I tried to. I, 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 I could have done, but uh, but for the fact that we were recording this podcast yeah. and I hadn't started the game. Well, in fact, it, it would, wouldn't have mattered because even if we'd recorded it a week ago, it would have... Uh, yeah, it, it, it would have been like, oh, well, yeah, let's get on to that in a minute, the whole light moon, dark moon thing. Um, yeah, uh, back to session two. So uh, this is the first time you do the thing with the Sylvan sprites. Uh, you, go into, you go to a specific place where you can change... Uh, sorry, where you... Yes, where you, you go to sleep, you change to side B um, to find these sprites. Then you come back to side A uh, and you are told i mean it, it should be said that i i found between the characters who you hang you spend a fair amount of time with that's logfella girl dogfella and the archetype as along with the the megatome um i think you the signposting is fine i, I don't even though it's a, a you know it is quite a sort of on the surface of it vague if if you use the resources you have mm-hmm. it's always fairly transparent where you need to go next what you need to do so you'll you'll come back once you've collected all the all the you know um sent all the the sylvan sprites back to heaven or whatever in in the dream world you're pretty much said oh suddenly it feels like a time of miracles i ought to go and speak to somebody about this uh and then you know then you'll get told to go to the 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 place where you know miracles happen or whatever um and yeah i didn't i i I, I seldom felt lost, even though it's a it's a strange world, and there are certain locations, particularly in the on side B in the dream world, where certain odd things happen. Like uh, you have to uh, walk out onto a lake. Um, you're given the prompt believe, um, <laughs> and later on, not only does that that doesn't just become an A to B uh, walk, but there a new location appears in in the middle there, and you have to perform a, do some puzzles and a fight there. So there. There are certain sort of uh, things about the game world that are inconsistent, but also there's there is a kind of you know there is an internal logic. I never felt like it was just being sort of deliberately ah fuck you. We're going to be so obscure and so oblique now that you'll never work this out. No, no, and um, in terms of where to go, and aside from uh, the puzzles I mentioned, it wasn't what I had to do that was confusing. It's just I knew what I had to do. It just ended up mm. being trial and error, and that bit of it is the mechanical sure. side of it. I didn't respond to so well. What I had to do in signposting and ensure um, you come back to the house and you're told you, you see a few sheep around and you're told that something's happening in the um, place where they were, so you know that that's where you've got to go. And, and you're right. There's plenty of clues there as to where you might have to go next and what you have to do. Uh, and yeah, plenty of signposting as to as to what the what the next step of the adventure is yeah so uh, at the end of uh, session two you fight for the first trigon uh, this plays out uh, as yeah one of the few actual fights in the game um, it, you're fighting a triangle um, <laughs> basically uh, from Zelda <laughs> yeah it's kind of um, and there's some really imposing music playing, um, and the, the the fight is kind of choreographed. But as we were discussing on Twitter, it's not quite actually 
it feels like it ought to or wants to be a kind of rhythm based fight but yeah. it, it's actually more like it's choreographed with the music in mind but after a few bars it all goes out of sync with what you're actually doing but the fight nevertheless the fighting is still timing based uh, rather than reaction based in that you can everything's predictable it's the same every time and there are there is a you know a very specific amount of time between anything the triangle throws at you and when you have to hit it from a gameplay perspective these fights are as you said relatively simple but from a presentation standpoint mm -hmm. i think these fights are possibly the highlight of the game for me mm. um, because the music is so perfect well for me maybe mm. it wasn't for you but the music felt like it was so in sync with what was going on visually the way the trigon pulsed and the music was pulsing as well and when it fired that like fiery ball at you mm. it the music was well timed with that it just it kind of got under my skin and it kind of felt it, it felt really close to kind of like a spiritual experience as pretentious as that sounds because it was it sent chills up my spine it was really well done I didn't quite have that strong a reaction to it, but I did really like it. And um, yeah, I you know the the the, the batting the the sort of beam backwards and forwards is another uh, Zelda nod. It's something that uh, Link normally ends up doing against Ganon or whoever Ganondorf Agonim at some point during a, a, a towards the end of a Zelda game. Um, but yeah, the the music obviously you know we will talk about it more fully. But the the music throughout the game is absolutely fantastic that is that is yeah. a particularly uh, great piece and it does make this a simplistic uh, blocky sprite with very basic animation fighting a triangle uh, seem somehow spectacularly epic yeah and I, I, I tweeted as much when I got to this fight which I, I don't know what just happened but I just had a fight of a, a triangle oh yeah yeah I remember that tweet yeah, and, yeah and I feel like uh, you know my soul has been affected and <laughs> It's it's really weird because it, it is the, the fight is nothing. You are just hitting. I mean, it's it's basically pong. You're you're hitting something backwards and forth. It and even tells you when you need to use because uh, yeah, you yeah. can click on a shield or a sword. Basically, that is your fighting mechanic. There is nothing more to it than that. And it even tells you when you need to click on your shield. Mm -hmm. It's but, not. It's not even like doesn't. You don't even have to work that much out for yourself. But there is, there is a progression in tone of music as this triangle is ascending the heavens and uh, slowly becoming more powerful as, as you slowly start to you know, obviously de deteriorate its shields around it before its, its final uh, uh, descent back into your backpack. But um, just the, the sound of the music is, is just really incredible. It, can show, it shows you what you can do in, in some respects, limited visuals and um, you know even limited player um, participation but just through the power of music alone I, I just like like um, Josh said I just felt like it just there was something within that that was speaking to me on a, a weird spiritual kind of in my soul level um, well, I'd compare this to something like Fantasia where it very much feels like the creators are experimenting with how music relates to visuals and trying to evoke a, a reaction with these two art forms combined um, and trying to create a reaction that's stronger than those two things individually because um, it, it's worth saying that I've listened to this track on its own 
just out of context of the game and it's nowhere near as impactful as it is when you're actually in the game watching the visuals uh, yeah. alongside it it just it adds something to the it synesthesia it effect uh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and obviously i expect uh, darren to splice that very tune in somewhere around this conversation
and people can hear it for themselves. But yes, bear in mind that as as cool as it is, it it is more uh, more powerful in the context of the game. And it also feels like at that point your adventure really has kicked off. It's you know you you are attempting something that it feels like no other person in in the land you know would be capable of. And you've tamed this triangle and you've put it into your backpack, and it it's a real kind of Yes, you know what's next, what's beyond this, where's the next one? I'm gonna you know continue on and capture all these things. I guess it's still the even though you know the the some of the captions and stuff that that, that you read along your way in this game, they're famously sort of they have uh, some some say controversially they they sort of allude to like uh, contemporary dude speak and whatever internet lingo or, or uh, and stuff like that, which you would think would shatter the atmosphere, but somehow it manages to. Again, it has this sort of internal consistency, which kind of works. But I think the the actual storytelling, again, if you speak to the characters and read the tome and listen to what the archetype's saying, I think that even though, yeah, it, it it's not just the music, uh, it, it is the setup uh, that you've been kind of, uh, you know, you, you've been railroaded in this situation. You do feel like you have this, uh, you know, this absolutely profound fate <laughs> it refers from fairly early on in the game it, it it says that you know you're you're doing this whole martyrdom thing and you know you know that each fight like after each uh trigon battle uh your health actually goes down it's not like th- this is the opposite of zelda where after every significant fight you get a, an extra heart container here you get one of your heart containers as it were taken away so from that point on you become uh, more vulnerable <laughs> Uh, and that's an interesting dynamic as well. Yeah, I really like that. Um, it adds to the grandioseness of it all. And um, when you're talking about the language they use, and um, the shorthand way to say it, I suppose, is it, it's got a hipster vibe to it. Um, it has. With There's all the, the connotations that come with that, and that will cause a lot of people to sort of shrink back and some people say, okay, at least I know what they mean now. Um, but So it, it's got that sort of uh, quite... Flowery is the wrong word, but maybe grandiose language that that's used in in the in the text overlay and, and on the uh, in the megatome with each character talking to you. There's a bit of that going on as well. Um, but the music and the, the visuals in the fighting I really liked as well, um, and the fact that when you come out of the fight, you are visibly weakened. You know, um, the Scythian is is on the floor flashing because she's been harmed by this fight, even though she is triumphant. Um, stands up, you know, vomits, and then you see that you've lost one of your, their stars, not hearts, but the same thing, lost one of your hearts, and you're now weaker for the battle. And it shows that it's taken its toll, and it all feels like it was an epic battle, even though mm-hmm. what you're looking at on screen looks like a game of Pong or, or video game tennis or something. Um, I I absolutely agree uh, with Tony and Josh and what they were saying. By the end, I love these fights. At the beginning... I really didn't. Um, the first fight you have actually is with a three-eyed wolf. Um, yeah, which is another. Uh, I felt that whole character, as it were, was a, another nod to another world. Um, mm. Very much the first. Uh, the first thing that you see that's sinister is this uh, sort of presence lurking in the background, and um, it's very much like the start of another world. Where as soon as you come out of the swimming pool at the start, you see that big black creature stalking you. Um, and uh, and yes, in this you get to uh, the the final fight is actually to to take this uh, three eyed yeah Cerberus type thing out yeah and the first fight and and again it's this huge uh, black 
presence on screen. Huge relatively compared mm. to the characters, obviously. Um, and also there's the howling that goes with it as it's stalking you and and then later on as, as you're stalking it. Um, and and there's a game with sound and visuals and, and the fights. They, they feel really great. It really sets a, a tone for what's going on. The problem I had was the first fight that you have in the game, the sort of training, if you like, the tutorial for the combat, is with this wolf. Mm. It, it rears back and then charges you and my instincts to put the shield up yeah so I put the shield up it hit my shield and then I tried to hit it with my sword and missed yeah I'm still that. doing this on the final encounter because exactly, I still yeah. hadn't worked it out <laughs> and that was my problem I hadn't worked it out because my instinct was shield you have to do is smack it in, you have to smack it in the face yeah, yeah. You, have to, you have to forget the shield and just time your sword strike to hit it I had to go to Twitter to find out if I was supposed to be injuring this thing because if you hold your shield up, it runs into your shield, whimpers and runs away. And after four or five times, it does actually run off. Um, yeah, and your stamina uh, your stamina runs out if you just hold your shield up, if you yeah, don't just tap it. Yeah, sorry. So you put your shield up, it hits your shield, you put your shield down yeah. again. But if you, if you cycle that three or four times, even though you're not doing the quote-unquote right mm. thing in the fight, it will eventually go because it's realized it's not yeah i'm pretty sure one. that's actually what happened to me at the start of the game can you actually kill it at the start of the game because no. surely mm. it's the same one that comes back at the end it is it's the same yeah. one all the way through what, yeah. what what you're supposed to do and what i was frustrated because i was unable to do um is as it charges to you you forget the shield and just use your sword to strike it uh, it has three hearts i think if you hit it twice it runs away at that point yeah so it, the, it, the very final encounter you can give it that third slice it only takes yeah. a few seconds it's fairly telegraphed uh, as to what it's going to do yeah. it, it's not that difficult but it is slightly tense because you do only have one heart at this point and one yeah. star yeah absolutely uh, and it's insta death so. so and and the first battle for a trigon i had real problems but and I, i'm putting this on me as much as i might say that i've got issues with some of the mechanics of the game and i sound like i'm having a go you've on just got issues <laughs> I, timing wise <laughs> Rhythm action games I am horrible at, and this isn't a rhythm action game, but it requires no. reasonably precise timing. Mm. The first fight I went into, I had three mushrooms, and you have four or even five hearts yeah. at that point. Yeah, five five at first. Um, and you can recharge them by holding up your shield between, while the enemy's doing its yeah. rather elaborate in, in animations, you can actually... Uh, top up your health even without a mushroom yeah. which is quite tense as well because you don't know whether you're going to get that animation pulled off entirely before it, yeah, it takes shoots a while. the next thing the, yeah. the problem is that I am so bad at time or I was for the first fight so bad at timing my sword strike I wouldn't put the shield up in between so I never found out I could recharge my hearts uh -huh. um, and I went through all three mushrooms and then had to go into the dream world to get more mushrooms to come back and have another go I was so frustrated because you've got this sort of beam of light coming towards you and you have to time it right. If you're too early, it'll hit you. If you're too late, it'll hit you as well. And it knocks yeah. you over. Um, and the, each of the fights goes through stages. So by the last stage, uh, the triangle has uh, charged itself up fully and spawned around it eight or nine other triangles. Yeah. Um, and those triangles come towards you. If you miss one of them, there's a good chance you could miss the second one coming after it as well. So I frequent, well, obviously four or five times in a row, I died in this fight and then had to mm. go and find more mushrooms and come back. And it's my fault because my timing's awful. But, again, it would have been great to know I could have put my shield up. I didn't because I was so hovering over the the um, 
the sword button, uh, trying to get the timing right. And just again, like... I'm pretty sure that I don't know who, which character it is, but one of the characters in the Megatome says, "Do you know if you hold your shield up, you can, you know, the, the, it's all in there. It's all in the Megatome." Mm. But I only found that after that fight, so I don't know if it was yeah, there right. before or not. So. Okay, yeah, I think some of the the hints it gives you are based on your your it monitors mm. your progress and yeah. uh, and uh, treats treats you depending on how so, well you've done. So I'm, I'm perfectly willing to admit that, that this is my problem but just like in rock band if you start missing notes it causes oh, yeah. you to miss more and you yeah. start getting worked up because you're frustrated and that was yeah. happening to me i, and... I failed it i failed it i think i failed all of the trigon fights mm. at least once um because they are pattern learning they are the same yeah. every time you can learn them you could even write down the sequence and as i say it does tell you when to when to click your shield um and in fact i think at, at least the the Dark Moon and Light Moon ones, the second and third that you collect, have um, an, an, an instant kill attack, or at least an attack that takes off the vast majority of your health. Most attacks uh, take off one heart, but yeah, there's the final attack at least takes off two, maybe three. So yeah, yeah. it ends up being almost a one-hit kill. It, it's funny because you know we, we have been critical of games in the past for not giving the player enough direction of what they need to be doing. But I, I just... I just there's certain games that, which is a bit like Limbo, where you know there's never anything thrown onto the screen for the player to, to digest. I mean, in that case, yes, it's you normally just press A and you jump, whatever it may be, in whichever platform. And this may have one or two more kind of deeper levels than that, but I never felt lost in that regards. You know, I I I never read about the the shield regeneration thing. I think uh, while I was waiting for one of the the trigons to, to power up. I just sat there with my shield up and I saw this beam of light start to you know to descend back into the shield. I was like, oh, I wonder what this does and held it long enough and one of my hearts filled up. And you, know, you could say, well, yeah, they should have directed the player to that, but I, I think tonally that may have broken some of the aspects I like about this game, which is you know it harkens somewhat back to the older style of games where it's just like you're eventually working out after maybe after you've died five times. I mean, I can only talk to my my own experience. I think you know. That first fight to me was this really um, seminal experience, and I was like, "Wow, this is amazing!" And I didn't die, so I'd imagine five times into that, um, I, yeah, I would feel frustrated and annoyed, and probably be not listening to the words I'm saying. But uh, I think I just uh, maybe I just lucked out, or maybe there's just you know a little bit more you know thinking about well, what's this shield do if you hold it up in panic? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, as I say. A lot of it, I've got to take responsibility myself, but after five times dying and having to have already gone back into the dream world to collect more mushrooms, come back, it gets frustrating, and the game doesn't deserve my frustration. It really doesn't, but it got it, 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 got it anyway, um, and I, I agree. I, I think it, it does give you hints enough. The problem is that in my particular situation, because my timing's so awful, I just ended up feeling frustrated and a bit lost with the game, not because of anything it was doing necessarily, but because what it needed of me, I just wasn't able to. to no, give. it's worth saying because uh, you know, for every for every Darren Gargett who can get gold medal on every single mm. song on Beat the Beat, there's somebody like our own uh, Jay Taylor who has to get me to help him through the rhythm action sections of God of War because he can't, he can't as, as good a game player as he is, he can't do timed button presses. So it, it is worth saying because not, not everyone has that sort of, even even if they're a perfectly decent games yeah. player, the, the whole timing thing is, is could be another aspect. So. And what, what I would say is by the final fights, I was really enjoying them. And uh, the second and third Trigon fights, I didn't die at all. Well, big pardon, the second one I did because it's got a new attack in there. 
that um, it was always the, the one hit attack that got me in in each one. Well, well um, this one was actually the the rainbow when it comes towards you. Um, I yeah. was never quick enough to get all five bars of that rainbow down before it hit me. So yeah. if you do too many slices, uh, she gets puffed out as well. So yeah. you you can actually you can't go too quickly. Too much, I, yeah. yeah, I did appreciate. You know, there's very little danger in this game outside of these fights. It's very much a, a you know a slow pace. And we should say, when you die, you don't get sent back very far. No, well, it's not you, even you really just... death. You you you're the same as you are you're after the tribal almost. fights. Yeah. You're knocked out yeah. on the ground, and you need to go and recover. So there's actually yeah. no game over. There's no death no. screen or anything. Like that. So and you can charge up. You can charge. You don't even know. You don't even need to go and get mushrooms because it, you know I had three on me the whole time. But yeah. there's always enough time to fully charge up your health. So well, and also you can go to the log cabin and sit down and charge up your health. But I was in the position where I wanted three mushrooms there so that I didn't have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, how about to waste how about you, time, so. you, Josh? I mean, you've been quiet about this. I and mean, was this something that you you breezed through or? Um, I found it relatively simple. Um, that might be because I'm at. I Young and amazing. Put, <laughs> no, no. Reactions. I mean, I don't mean to say I don't want to put James down, but like I'm quite good at rhythm games. It's okay. Um, it's okay. So... He's a bit. He's a bit shit. Oh, I am awful. Absolutely awful. <laughs> I can't. E- I can't even do the rock band drum tutorial. Literally can't. So. Right. Well, oh, yeah. I. I mean, I. I took to it because this is the rhythm action genre is a genre that i'm a fan of so yeah. it, it i mean i did struck i mean i got hit by a couple of um you know triangles every yeah, now yeah. and then but i i found it relatively easy to be honest yeah and by the last fight i did uh the last fight i i really enjoyed and i got everything from it that, that josh you and tony are, are saying um it's just that that first fight really frustrated me um, and, and I I would say I found the later fights easier because yeah. the um, stuff that you had that was coming at you at sorry the stuff that was coming at you uh, at you was coming at a greater uh, speed mm. so uh, I find I don't know if you guys agree with me that I like hyper mode in Guitar Hero sort of thing isn't it yeah yeah I'm actually better at keeping uh, keeping rhythm when the pace is a lot faster yeah that first one uh was quite slow and sometimes i just got the timing wrong just because oh, come on hurry Swing up too early yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah absolutely yeah um well we're we're in danger of staying on these fights longer than True, they actually but... take to complete <laughs> what what i do want to bring up though is that um once again you know the you to the person that hasn't played this yet or the uninitiated it's you know we're, what we're talking about here is basically we're fighting against triangles in a game of pong and somehow we have we've had a, a 20 minute conversation about you know, either the difficulty or the the way that it's made us feel uh, there's a physicality about these fights and uh, some of that is it's incredible what they can do with just visuals mm-hmm. simplistic gameplay and you know yet we've all had quite a different feelings and reactions to it and that's why video games are the best mm-hmm. and that's why we do cane and rinse uh, so that's just the first Trigon. We don't need to particularly talk about the fights again for, for no. the for the two and three, but we'll talk about very much so about the uh, what it involves, what it entails to get Trigons two and three of three. Um, so session three, the archetype says on beginning session three, this typically requires a lunar month. Uh, so you're like, what? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, observe the moods of the moon, he says. So uh, the moon is visible in a number of locations in this game uh, and it relates to the moon 
in the real world well outside the real world if you will uh the actual moon you know that one up in the sky the real one our uh moon. our moon called moon does it have a name other than the moon uh, um the moon, I think, yeah. uh <laughs> so uh a a dark moon is a new moon, so when it's uh, finished its uh, fat cycle and is just a wee crescent, that is a dark moon in uh, the parlance of this game, and a light moon is a full moon. Now, you can only uh, do what is necessary to collect the uh, second and third trigons depending on what moon it is in. So, uh, what m moon we are in, on, in, in the world. Um, you can find this on any calendar. Um, or out of your window at night. Indeed, uh, <laughs> if there's no cloud and stuff like that, if yeah. it's still there. Um, so you can always get one of the Trigons, no matter when you play this game, at the time, because it's always either a dark moon or a light moon, right? Uh, no. The first one, no? No, no. Or did we all just luck out? <laughs> uh, when I first played this, I obviously read through what the architect was saying, read through the, the Megatome, yeah. And it told me I had to either be in Light Moon or Dark Moon. Yeah. At that point, uh, my Megatome said 10 days until Dark Moon. So yeah, but that means it's Light Moon. No. Oh. No, that's not no. how it works. No. It has to be either a full moon or... So, you know, yeah. Oh, okay. Dark right. Moon gotcha. or Light Moon last for what I think are four days. You, it right. will be in Light Moon okay. phase for four days, and then it will say 10 days until... I think it's four days. Three or four. Um it may be the night of the new moon plus a night either side type thing. So um, by sheer coincidence, I was able to get the Dark Moon Trigon yes. because it was Dark Moon the other day. Because last Friday <laughs> it was Dark Moon. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I waited until uh, a, a week ago when it became Dark Moon and that was when I could continue the game 10 days after I first played it. Okay, now uh, within the game there are ways to, uh, to... To get both these Trigons involves going on to side B of the EP, the vinyl record, and uh, sending more Sylvan sprites to the sky, but you can only do this at this point. Uh, at this stage you have access to a, a lunar garden uh, where you've already hit and activated the first of your Trigons, the gold one, based on the fact that you won that first boss fight, and you need to activate the other two to, to unlock the final sequence of the game. Now, there are different ways of achieving this, uh, and there are, uh, yeah, well, I suppose you could say there's three techniques. There's 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 one, which is the obvious one, which is just only play the game at the right point in the calendar in the real world. Then yeah, there's... so um, essentially what I did, wait 10 days, log yep. into the game, it tells me it's Dark Moon, so I can go into the dream world, get the Dark Moon Trigon, and then it will tell me in... 14 days time that it's light moon and I can I can then do that continue yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, technique two is the uh, I like to call the animal crossing technique although I never did this in animal crossing because it's sick and wrong <laughs> and anyone who does it in animal crossing should have their copy of animal crossing taken away from them but uh, it is altering the clock of the device that you're playing on so uh, you find out for instance today because I needed to finish the game so we could talk about the end on the show uh, it said in my megatone seven days until dark, uh, till light moon. So I exited the game, changed my uh, PC's clock to a week's time, uh, went very much into the future, and uh, and was able to go back and do it that way. Uh, now, the, perhaps the most interesting technique and amusing is the third. Who would like to? James, you you sent us all an email detailing this. I still <laughs> managed to fuck it up. 
but please, yeah, so it's also Darren Gargett who's editing the show's favourite character from the entire game. So and mine, I think probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in because we had to all have the game completed by today, um, I wanted to send instructions to to yourself and Tony who were going to be playing it. In a week outside of Dark Moon, yeah. Light Moon. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, so, I, I hit a brick wall. So, <laughs> yeah, Tony, you'd already got to the point where you were waiting for Dark Moon to arrive, um, and so I detailed the three options. The third option is, if you are in the game and it is outside of either Dark Moon or Light Moon phase, so you're in that ten day period between Dark and, and Light Moon, whichever one, whichever ten day period it is. Um, then when you go into the dream world, uh, you move down a couple of screens from the first screen you come into the, the dream world in, you will see a naked boar, they refer to it as, dancing. B-O-O-R though, isn't it? Yeah, so it's it's not boar, a, it's, yeah. it's not a boar as in a pig or a bear as in a bear, but it's a kind of weird creature. Yeah, it, it looks like a man with a bear on. <laughs> head on, essentially. It's about the only way I can describe it. Mm-hmm. And he's, Do, got, and, he's, and he's in the nudie pops. He's got he's, his little winky out. He's, he tends, whenever he's standing still, he tends to have a bush covering up to about his, his waist, <laughs> oddly. Uh, but he's, he's doing the, um, the David Brent dance from The Office. Um, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Well, exactly, because the, the sound he's making is... Which is exactly what <laughs> David Brent does in The Office. That's my best rendition. There um, is a video, uh, a YouTube video of a yeah. dance-off between the two. <laughs> so th- that's a really nice touch. Uh, to, to most people who know The Office, it's unmistakable, uh, that, that dance. And you can just about make him out doing the right <laughs> movements. Um, but you can chase him. Um, he, When you get close to him, like all the animals in the game, uh, the other animals jump into the nearest uh, uh, undergrowth or overgrowth and, and, and disappear. He runs off the side of the screen and you can follow him. Um, eventually he will come to the place which you don't know yet because you haven't got there but the place where you will fight uh, the the dark moon trigon um, which is uh, a, a glade of trees with one really big tree in the middle and he will run into the tree if you follow him there you can fight him um, if you defeat him in the fight um, you have the option to slay him or not and that's just down to your own Humanity yeah, that has no actual sort of uh, consequence further in, no. in, in the game or the presentation no. or new game plus um, or anything. Makes you feel good when you meet him at the end. Yeah, yeah. Well, that yeah, there is one consequence that he won't be in the game further. He doesn't play any active yeah. part in the game anyway. He's just there. Yeah. Uh, aside from this, um, but uh, the achievement does um, apes portal a little bit by calling you a monster if yes. you if you've killed him. Although it doesn't distinguish whether you killed him or not. It just gives you the achievement either way. Um, but what you will get from him, whether you slay him or, or spare him, uh, is a key to um, the... Moon Grotto. The Moon Grotto. The Lunar mm. Grotto mm-hmm. uh, is the other name for it. Um, there are several doors around the world, but this one's sort of hidden. It's on the way up to Mingita, opposite a, a nest tree. Um, uh, there's a little path down, and there's a sign outside that says... Uh, you need a key to get into the Lunar Grotto, essentially. Uh, and if you go in there, you can sit on a bench underneath a, a, a star, uh, starry sky. And if you sit down, it will fast forward through time. And it enters what's called the time paradox. Um, you stand up at, the, at whatever phase you want the moon to be in. So once it gets to dark moon, you stand up, exit, 
and if you go into the dream world then it will be dark moon likewise if you wait for it to be a full moon then you'll come out and go into the dream world and it'll be a light moon phase mm -hmm. um, it requires a little bit of extra toing and froing to get well back to no, the no less than grotto, changing the but, clock on your pc <laughs> <laughs> but but it's all done within game so on sunday yeah. morning once we exited dark moon phase i'd restarted the game and in 45 minutes that's how i talk about point, the world now uh, since playing this game, I don't talk about the date <laughs> anymore. In, it's whether we're in light like moon or dark moon phase. Yeah. And, and some of this will make little sense, I think, if you haven't played the game. You're, you're talking about the moon phases. But to put it in, you know, layman's terms, if you get to chapter three, or you know, apparently I didn't realise it was the, the end of chapter two as well, that if the moon is in the wrong phase, you can no longer progress with your game, other than putting it down for ten days, mm. maybe more. Unless, and, unless you you look into these well, and, other yeah, uh, yeah unless, and the game the game go, by the way uh, the Steam achievements on the game uh, acknowledge which method you've used. Uh, yeah, so you get knows. an honest achievement if you either use the lunar grotto or waited, and you get a, a, a I don't know if they call it a cheater achievement, but they yes, it they is called the yeah, cheating yeah. cheater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But I'm interested, like. What do you, do you three actually think about this well, inclusion in the game? Is what is the point to it? And you know, it, other than it's a talking point, does it actually add anything to the game experience? Well, I I think it. I, I'm I'm of real two mind of this. <laughs> that the reason I like it is because the the moon and the environment it has impact how the game world looks. Um, I like the the actual the kind of high concept of it as well. That you know, the lunar moon has. Has well, you you have to do things at certain time periods within the environment for that you know so as a gameplay point of view it to me it makes sense, but as a gamer, um, getting to a, a a point in the game and then being told you'll have to put it down for ten day, day ten days come back again, just it it doesn't particularly sit with me um, doesn't congeal with me particularly well um, and I, I understand coming from a mobile platform. How it probably makes a little bit more sense there, because you know, uh, you know, you, you tend to dip in and dip out of games in a slightly different fashion than sitting down at your PC wanting a four-hour game session. So, like, I can imagine maybe just you know, okay, well, I come back to that in ten days' time if I remember, and, and there it will be, and I'll progress with my adventure. But it, it just it didn't sit particularly well with me because I I was like, okay, well, that, then what do I do now? Do I just leave this for ten days? Do I not complete it for the show? I mean, yes, there was an enforced time pressure to it, but it. I want to say it rubbed me out the wrong way because in some respects I'm like bravo for trying something unique and different when too many games aren't aren't doing that but at the same time you really want me to not play your game now and potentially not come back because of something like this can I just butt in Tony um because I played this game without the knowledge that we were going to do a podcast in the future. This was just some a game I played in my own time. Mm. And I found this mechanic actually potentially stopped me from completing mm. the game. Uh, because I got to that point and it was like, oh, we have to wait for 10 days. And I'm like, all right, I'll wait for 10 days. Put the my iPod down. A long time in game didn't in 10 go days. Back, didn't go back <laughs> to it. Yeah. Didn't go back to it for like a few months. It was only like like later on when people started talking about this game on Twitter again I don't know what was going on it just came up again and I was like okay I really should complete this game but potentially I could have never gone back and I know what they were trying to do and they were trying to be experimental 
but you know time is valuable and if you make people have to wait for that amount of time people have moved on to something mm. else especially in this industry where there's a new game that everyone's talking about every week this is what i'm this is what i'm getting at though can do any of you think there's any more to it than is is there a point to it more than here's something well, clever and interesting you, we did you haven't experienced the lunar grotto have you um no because what you changed the clock so well no what what happens, s- let me yeah let me just explain what happens is if you've already got the dark trigon when you yeah. chase the grizzled boar you can no longer uh fight him because the location in yeah. which you fight him is is changed um and i didn't realize that or i didn't and, read and it that's correctly. the situation i found myself in uh, which caused me to have to restart the game once I came out <laughs> of Darkmoon phase because I'd already done the Darkmoon um, and I, that I decided to make sure I was giving you the right instructions I decided to restart <laughs> the game and, and start from scratch and it doesn't take that long to get back to there but no. um, what I would say is I was really sort of umming and eyeing because not many people play a game with a time pressure but obviously as it turns out I I was. I didn't think I was, but I, I was in the end because uh, I ended up being on the show. But for you and Tony, you had very specifically a week to play this game. I mean, okay, we've known the show was coming up, but the nature of of Kane and Rince is that in we've some always cases, got something you, to play. You guys, yeah. yeah, you guys end up in some cases with a week to play, yeah, start absolutely. to finish a game, and obviously this doesn't lend but, itself to that at all but even though it's what, only a four to six hour game yeah which is, so which is sort of interesting listening to you guys i actually think i love this and the well, reason for it is mm. think of arkham city there are a series or there's one quest that calendar man series calendar man exactly yeah where what happened in order to make sure that people logged in, went to see Calendar Man on the specific days, which are American public holidays generally or, or notable days, uh, like Christmas Day, Valentine's Day, that sort of thing. Yeah. What ended up happening was people would start tweeting on that day. Everyone remembered to go and check in with Calendar of Man. Course. And it became a social experiment. Yeah. And the, uh, and which the, is the exactly phases what in this um, game Dark says. Souls. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Demon Souls, sorry. Yeah, the original yeah. Demon Souls and, and it, tendencies. It, and, and a bit like when there's a, a double XP weekend on the multiplayer game, mm. people get involved with it. And with this, I didn't play it when it came out. But yeah, but it's not like you can not play Call of Duty if you've not got a double XP weekend. No, it's, yeah, that's it's what a communal. That's the difference. It's, but I can imagine. at least with um, Arkham City, it's just this cool little side thing yeah, that people who are game. really yeah, into yeah, the but, game can. It but do. there's no other way. But of, with this, it stops you from progressing. Yeah, but th- yeah. this is like this isn't the kind of game where you could have a double XP weekend or a reason to go no. back other than that. So it is but, a way but, of keeping the game in the public consciousness. Uh, I think I think you probably hit the nail on the head there. The the thing that I mean from a, I mean outside of the the social awareness, I think. The reason why I'm okay with this because I went down the naked ball route mm. um, and sat on the bench, and you could change the the moon phases as and when you wanted. And from a gameplay point of view, it made complete sense. It, it's what I would have expected. You know, I I like the fact that you know I could experience the environments as and you know, with looks as and when I choose to do so. Um, and it you know it shifted the tone and you know once the the puzzles were were put you know in front of me to to solve and okay this needs to be a light moon so it may took me five minutes to progress across all the environments to go to the the lunar grotto and change it to a a new moon phase and then come back you know into the reality and stuff like i enjoyed all that aspect but it it was the moment like um josh said where i just i hit this brick wall and said no you can't play our game anymore i was like well 
that's kind of just not fair. But but what what and I'm I'm projecting here. I don't know if this is what happened, but what leads me to say that actually I really like it is I can imagine when the game came out. I didn't play it then, so I don't know. On Twitter again, people would have said, "Remember, everyone, Dark Moon Phase starts today." Exactly. Yeah. And when I was looking for yeah. information on forums, I saw people saying, "Great, it's Dark Moon Phase." Mm-hmm. Literally a, a week after the game came out, "Great, it's Dark Moon Phase. We can do the yeah. next stage." And that would have gone around Twitter, but also people when they found out about the ways to change the clock or mm. about the Lunar Grotto, mm-hmm. that instruction would have gone around forums and gone on Twitter and it yeah, yeah. becomes a social There's multiple solutions people, and, yeah, and for, for people multiple, willing to go and find them. Multiple find conclusions. The internet, yeah. uh, people will definitely, you know, particularly people who uh, hunt Steam achievements will want to complete this more than one way. Um, so yeah, keeps it that, replayable. And uh, iOS achievements presumably as well. What you're talking about there, James, mm. reminds me of something that happened with Fez mm-hmm. uh, earlier this year, Absolutely. where uh, I don't want to go into it because I don't want to spoil Fez, but there is a, a hidden element to Fez mm. that not many people get to, and everyone on forums and on Twitter were figuring it out together. So I, I guess it is kind of cool, like when a game first comes out, to have that explosion yeah. of conversation between gamers. But for somebody like me who yeah, came sure. to it like a year after it came yeah. out, it felt a bit frustrating. Yeah, and for Leon, Tony, I, I absolutely feel for you guys because it must have been so frustrating to think, great, I now cannot complete this game in time for the show. And how much of a mess that makes a potential. I wasn't things, really but... bothered, to be honest, because I knew, <laughs> I knew you could do the internal clock thing. I was slightly yeah, annoyed yeah, that I missed told, out on yeah. the Grizzle Boar, but hey, you know, I could always. I reckon you could speed run this game in about two hours once you know the, the solutions easily, easily. to each place. So yeah, uh, I probably never will, but if I really wanted to for some reason, you know. But it's almost a version of viral marketing, because what, what Josh, you're talking about with Fez is kind of what happens. Uh, Valve's done a couple, but there's been various different. Uh, versions of viral marketing where you have a, a whole micro community on Twitter or on forums all trying to work out how to solve a particular puzzle or problem or or follow a thread through the internet trying to find out what they need to do and this is a version of that albeit post-release but nonetheless a bit like Fez I suppose is a is a really good example. Anyway so once you've jumped through whatever hoops you've had to jump through or just waited to uh, get your three parts of the Trigon Trifecta. Uh, this is where you uh, run up the final mountain for the final confrontation. You're chased all the while by the uh, the Gogolithic fella. Uh, you bump into the, the, the three-eyed, three-red-eyed dog, as we said, and uh, hack his face off. Um, at this point, your character is weak and transparent and fuzzy. The, the, the female Scythian is actually coughing and vomiting up blood on her way up. Um, as a a sign that she this is this is very much taken its toll and uh, yeah in the end um, I was kind of maybe expecting another kind of variant on the Trigon fights but that, that doesn't happen um, you pretty much get to the top of the the world and raise your sword as you did early in the game to open up a bridge and uh, banish the Gogolithic creature, Gogolithic mass, yeah. and uh, and and that that your reward that is uh, is to die and to float off downstream. Um, pick your limp, lifeless body picked out of the lake by uh, Logfeller and uh, cremated by Logfeller and girl, who's the other character we've hardly talked about, really. 
um, and Dogfella, and that's it. That's the end. Yeah, it's quite a touching end. Yeah, very much. Also, another interesting aspect about the end is uh, as the uh, Gogolithic mass is being banished, uh, a number uh, sequence is read out, mm. uh, which you can call. <laughs> it's a San Francisco number, apparently. Uh, the the it's it's out there on the internet if you want to hear it, uh, but yes, just another little bizarre little Easter egg in there. Uh, so yeah, um, I don't know. I think I'd the end was odd for me because you you are you are you know from you know several hours before what's going to happen. So yeah. the there's there's a there's a, a grim inevitability to it, but there's not a, there's not you know n normally in a game if your your protagonist the character you've been controlling for the whole time is suddenly killed, it's like oh oh my god, but this was like yep <laughs> knew that was coming. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it very much um, it, it leads you down that path early on, and the fact that you're getting weaker through each fight, and at the end you do have one star, and you're being chased, and every time um, the Scythian stops to to vomit, she actually stops walking, and you have to restart that as well. So yeah. it really makes it a tense finale. And yeah, I think it it had the fitting end, but the end that it was always going to have. Um, what I would say is what I liked about it is the funeral scene for, for characters that there's not a lot of reason certainly visually necessarily to attach yourself to them but I thought the funeral was really pretty touching in a way because you had all these characters there, this stranger who'd come into their life and, and changed it in dramatic ways initially for the worse and then eventually for better mm. um, they were all there celebrating what what she had done and what she represented to them, and I thought that was that was quite nice um, at the end. Yeah, kind of. It was. It, it's an odd ending. It, it almost feels like you're expecting because of the nature of the game, having so many sort of ideas going on. You're almost expecting some kind of twist. And the twist is there isn't a twist. She that's it. She dies, and then it's it's kind of sad and touching because, yeah. I mean, again, like the more the more you've read from your megatome throughout the book I think the more attached to these characters you'll be but probably even if you've only ever just double clicked on them between for each they you know they don't have a lot to say but there's just a few things and uh, Dogfeller even has one little conversation uh, actually there's a couple of little conversations you can have with Dogfeller as I say he's voiced by Robert Ashley um, who people may recognise famously uh, sounds like a stoned duder but apparently definitely isn't a stoned duder um mm made a series of fantastic podcasts called Life Well Wasted used to be on the Games for Windows live podcast one up um, in the Japanese version do you know who he's voiced by trivia uh, no Suda51 oh oh wow yeah. <laughs> Goichi Suda so uh, yeah the the localization for this game was done rather than uh, what they normally do but by 8-4 play which is tra uh, you know localized Japanese games into uh, English is the other way around. They they wanted to localize this into Japanese, and in Japanese it's called uh, Sukitai no Musume, and uh, yeah. So uh, there's also and this this is uh, very very much worth checking out um, a remix album called the Scythian or Scythian Steps, uh, and it features 
such uh, renowned video game musical artists as uh, Akira Yamaoka from uh, famously Silent Hill, um, Mitsuo Suzuki, Final Fantasy, Bayon, Pixel Junk Eden, uh, Michiru Yamane, who's amazing. Uh, she's the best known for Castlevania, but lots of Konami stuff. And also some uh, musicians who I'm not familiar with, apparently chiptune type uh, guy mm. called Makatom 3 and another person called... Uh, Decasegui hip. <laughs> um, that is available for that's there's a there's a Bandcamp page I think for it and uh, so that's you know really interesting uh, musical take on on what is already a you know a great uh, you can you can buy the album version of the the Sword and Sorcery EP by Jim Guthrie which has lots of extra tracks and stuff so plenty of think, musical goodness. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting how. Um, this, I don't think it's wrong of me to say, quirky little indie game <laughs> gathered not only such a following amongst fans, but to the point where other well-known uh, musicians and composers for video games are interested in remixing these songs. It, it, I think the well, mm. we'll talk about the lasting effect or, or not that this game will have on us, but it's quite impressive that that something you know, a game like this can have such a, a wide effect uh, across those those sorts of people and um, yeah, I just think it's, uh, it's quite impressive. Before we do our three word reviews and then our own summaries, uh, we're going to hear from a certain Carl Moon who was supposed to be on this show this week. Uh, it, uh, James is a stand-in, fortunately a highly uh, qualified one by actually having played the game. Barely qualified uh, one, I would say. <laughs> Carl, uh, Carl sadly couldn't make it due to a sick family dog, but I believe uh, the dog is on the mend now. But uh, Carl wanted to have his say anyway because uh, he he was struck by the game. So Carl said, imagine this in a dour northeastern accent, <laughs> if you can. Firstly, I'd like to apologise to those people who told me they were looking forward to my input on Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery. I can assure you that I too am disappointed I wasn't able to make it onto the show. Uh, a show I was very forward about wanting to be on unfortunately due to circumstance of the non-serious variety I've had to pull out so I'd like to apologise to the team and the listeners for that however I am still through the power of the internet and the written word able to give a short insight into my thoughts on the game I'm often not seen as a kind of person who would play this game or many indie games at all which could be further from the truth I love indie games there's a certain truth to them a belief by the creators the small teams responsible in that what they're doing is no way an item for mass appeal but that they themselves are laying out an honesty giving themselves their thoughts their fears their loves and hates into a project that if only one person gets that then they are happy they've crossed over and had an impact on somebody else it's this honesty that can give these games for lack of a better term soul Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery, Sorcery was thankfully a title that didn't just resonate with one person or even two, it resonated with many. One of these people was myself. In 2011 I spent the year working away for periods of two to five weeks, away from many things, friends, family, consoles and even limited my communication. As a result I bought myself an iPad and a collection of games that interested me. One of these games was Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery. There's something so welcoming about the game. Beautiful pixel art style with limited colour palette per scene that seemed to be designed with care. Although the game didn't play like it, the limited colours reminded me of games like Another World or Flashback. Games I've always felt a connection to. Those who have viewed my profile on Twitter will know this. As much as I could enthuse about the graphics, its intricacies, its mix of light and dark, it wasn't this that was the star of the show. 
and I'm sure, as many others will say, it's the music. A beautiful, peaceful, wondrous soundtrack that allowed your mind to wander, to enjoy the fantasy, the chimes of interactions wonderfully placed on top of a flowing piece composed entirely by Jim Guthrie. A hallmark of many great games is a soundtrack that seldom tires, and one that stays with you long after the event. Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery is just that. The interactions on a touch screen, in my case the iPad, were incredibly intuitive. The gesture-based movement would work well, often feeling natural where so many other games feel castrated and hindered by clumsy design. Later trying this on PC, it felt at times the opposite. Where most PC games shine, games almost unlimited by inputs on keyboards, mice buttons and movements, the sheer simplicity became lost, but not to the point where the game became an unenjoyable experience. And that's essentially what the game is, an experience. I won't focus on the story, the team will do that we sort of did, uh, because whilst I enjoyed it thoroughly, it was the sheer bliss of a truly esoteric experience. The way which sights become sounds, and sounds become memories, resulted in a gaming memory I treasure from last year. We had absolutely no correspondence as regards to this game on the forum, apart from uh, Darren Gargett, who posted the video of the grizzled boar dancing off with David Brent. So <laughs> that is it. I'm quite, I was quite surprised, but we did manage to gather a small little bundle of three-word reviews. Tony? Fuck Biscuits says... <laughs> yeah, really out of context, but um, really nice music. Straightforward and to the point. <laughs> James? Uh, Karma4036, uh, so much atmosphere. Karma4036 also said, a wee bit pretentious. <laughs> and Leg of Time, back to that soundtrack, says, music is excellent. And then let's do our own summaries, shall we? Uh, Josh. Um, I look back at 2011 and I kind of feel like you can say what you will about the games, but I think it's inarguable that 2011 was a fantastic year for video game soundtracks. Um, I think about games like Bastion, Shadows of the Damned, Rayman Origins, and this game. Um, one of the things I always say is that one of the things I really value from both movies and video games are those moments where sound and visual design come together so perfectly that it creates this special experience that you don't get from any other kind of media. And for me, Sword and Sorcery is the exploration of that idea. And if you're like me and you get a tingle up your spine when you're watching Fantasia or playing music games like Rez or Child of Eden, I highly recommend this game because the music and the visuals are so in sync with each other that it's a wonder to behold. Um, there are niggles in terms of gameplay. I am not a fan of the phases of the moon. It is annoying, but it's something I got over because the music and the visuals were so spectacular. Um, I highly recommend this game. James? Uh, yeah. Um, a week ago, I was really not enjoying the game. Um, as I've said, it's as much my limitations, or more my limitations than it is anything that the game was doing. Um, but as I agree with, with what Josh said, the, the visuals and the music were, are clearly so in sync in this game, but it's just that I didn't feel I was in sync with it at that point. But 
I came back to the game, especially once I'd, I'd restarted it and and started from the beginning and played through. Um, I got a handle on what the game was asking of me mechanically. Um, the later fights and puzzles made perfect sense to me, no problem following uh, what mechanically was required of me. Um, and that allowed me to enjoy this game an awful lot more than I would have expected based on my first hour or two playing it. Um, it, it feels a bit like uh, a progressive rock album to me. Obviously there's overt references to this being an EP and, and music being integral to it and the sessions relate to, you know, a session band playing. Um, uh, and there's a there's a moment uh, once you unite or once you've got all three sections of the dark trigon or the trigon sorry, uh, where you're taken into uh, a rock show, yeah. uh, Jim Guthrie rock show. Uh, for me, the boar was there because I let him survive. Yeah. Uh, all the other characters were were sort of rounding about, uh, just taking a moment, stepping out of the game. Doesn't matter what's going on. Completely fourth wall breaking, obviously. Um, Jim Guthrie up on stage performing. Um, and you can walk around and talk to some of the characters again uh, as you can throughout the game but you can at this point um, and it really felt like a moment where the character and you were being given a chance to say okay we're telling you this fable this legend forget that for a second let's just relax and enjoy the music and enjoy the game for the social experiment that it is and that really warmed me to everything about this game that they were willing to put something like that in the game because they recognised that, as Josh said at the beginning, they didn't want to be po-faced about any of this as much as it's got that hipster vibe and it's got a lot of what some people might say is quite pretentious uh, overtones to it. It never feels po-faced in that way at all because it's got such a warm heart and, and centre to it. And I really, really warmed to, to that. I really liked the the choices they made in terms of design, in terms of uh, the the moon phases, I think is an interesting thing to do, and it's certainly a social experiment. Whether it works or not, obviously, is dependent upon how much it affects your game positively or negatively. But I just think it's it's great that we're able to sit down and have a chat about this wonderful little quirky slice of of video game uh, music, and yeah, I just think it's. It, it really, really did something different, and that above ever anything, I think, uh, speaks volumes to how much I'm likely to enjoy again. Yeah, much to echo your sentiments, James. I kind of, um, you know, I try not to be prejudiced about games, and I do have fairly broad tastes about, you know, liking all kinds of genres and all kinds of uh, games in terms of, you know, what they're aiming to be and and stuff, but. A sort of when I first booted this up, I was actually a little bit tentative, um, thinking that this is the kind of game that could uh, be a little bit too arch and a little bit too hipster, and you know it could disappear up its own ass. Um, but I was uh, overall, I was I was pleasantly surprised. Um, it's it's an odd game. It does feel slightly melancholy, but it's not cold. It does have a warmth to it, and it, and it is amusing. And even though it does all sorts of things that should break your engagement, your immersion, it somehow creates something that you do feel 
like a, a game world that you're part of, even though it's broken up into sessions and it talks to you and refers to you as the player and breaks the fourth wall and all this stuff, it still feels like you're in this really uh, coherent, atmospheric world. Even you know, despite the way it looks, it's obviously not photorealistic, and you know that's that says a lot. And yeah, it does a lot of things which are different to anything else. Um, I'm not sure about the phase of the moon thing. I mean, I'm a big fan of um, games that use the internal clock going all the way back to Knights with its flower clock and Marvel vs. Capcom with its clock tower and Bomberman giving you extra lives on the Saturn for playing between 10 and 11 in the morning and stuff like that. But as Tony says, those aren't things which actually completely uh, stop your progress uh, or or force you into a cheating corner. But but you know it's it's something interesting and i think you know it would it's very easy to 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 use uh, adjectives like uh, well it's not an it's not an adjective but you can use it as an adjective hipster and uh, pretentious but sometimes things aren't pretentious so much as they're just very clever and some people think that's pretentious cuz they're not quite you know on the same wavelength not saying you know not saying too stupid to get it or whatever I just mean that it does require a certain sort of angle that you come into it at and um, I think if it it sounds like it's going to make you run screaming then don't play it but if you're the kind of person who thinks that game you know the games industry is stifled and stagnant with third person shooters and blah 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 these are the kind of games you need to play to make you realise that actually there's all sorts of fascinating stuff going on Tony <laughs> I think you've covered everything haven't you, between us all but um, yeah I'd say the symphony between um, visuals and uh, music gave me a you know a, a very unique oh god I, I don't want to say orgasmic but it gave me a euphoric you had an um, orgasm yeah, it gave me a euphoric guessing. pleasure, um, <laughs> which few games have achieved before, um, and I lo- and I really loved it for that. Unfortunately, I find a lot of point-and-click adventures can be rather dry um, because you know essentially all you are doing is you know, like any game, you're moving through the environment, but you know it, it can be quite stagnated. I feel with point-and-click adventures, and I feel like this one probably had some of those issues still. I, I felt like the puzzles could have been. A bit more varied um, would have made the the game part of the game um, a bit more interesting, but other aspects are, are such as you know we haven't talked like pulling the moon out of the sky into the sea and you know dragging cliffs together and stuff like that. There, there's there's a visual side which you know very few games, even AAA games, I, I haven't seen attempted before, um, and for that it, you know it, it comes highly recommended. I can't help but have this nagging feeling in the back of my mind. I don't think it's a particularly amazing game game. But it does aspects. And I can't, I cannot recommend the soundtrack enough. Um, almost over pretty much every game. I just, It's phenomenal. And what they do with the, the visuals and the soundtrack is the reason you should play this game. And I think, you know, if, if, you, if you err on the side of enjoying point-and-click adventures, I think you'll probably take a lot out of this but for me just that aspect just wasn't enough for me to kind of feel blown over um, in every way but yeah it comes highly recommended it's cheap um, or you could just get the soundtrack 
But it's not the same. <laughs> no, it's not the same. It's like just watching a YouTube video. It, you know, it's it it just doesn't cut it. Um, but um, you know, I did attempt to like I said, I broke this on the iPad and I got twenty minutes in and kind of was put off because I didn't like the the point and click adventure side of it and I don't think got far far enough into it to enjoy what uh, aspects I've taken from it this time. So I'm very very glad I played it. Um, and I think you know I could recommend it to anybody. But it you know it. With the moon phases, I think you you need to know what you're getting into. Get into that before you actually start this game, so you're not suddenly just hit a brick wall. And I think some of the you know some of the more exploratory stuff is is fairly you know, rudimentary. But yeah, overall, I I would recommend this. What um just you've reminded me, Tony, that uh, myself and Josh played uh, Sound Shapes this uh, mm-hmm. past week after it came out. Um, so did I. And yeah, um, I haven't finished to it. To say that the there's five different sort of worlds if you like in sound shapes um two of them uh, are beck who's put some new songs onto it and also dead mouse who are both pretty well-renowned mm. musicians and to say that jim guthrie's work on on this game mm-hmm. warranted him another slot on uh sound shapes as one of the albums there second album uh, isn't it? second level se- yeah, second, second set of levels after yeah. the uh, after the i think it, it speaks volumes to the music in, the, in this game um and also capybara I, I was on their site earlier have got a really nice sort of um not just a, a, a article written on their site saying hey sound shapes is out go and check it out and okay their music's or music from their game is in this game but yeah. It really speaks to the vibe you get around indie games, where there is a, mu- a mm-hmm. very tight community amongst people like the you know the um, the musicians you mentioned earlier who remix some of these songs. Uh, Leon, just yeah. yeah, really nice to see that sort of uh, takeaway from this game. But being used it, even now, it's it's really I I I think it's it's becoming quite hard for indie developers even to carve out their own niche within the indie community now because there is so much content there to be explored and i think sword and sorcery as i said before has has a unique look to it and a unique tone and sound that like you know it manages to drag itself to the top of the pile and there's some fantastic games that sit there along with that um you know i'm not going to name through loads of them because people will argue whether they're indie or not but you know something like limbo and uh, braid and bastion you know although that you know they've they've hit quite highs by you know going on xbox live marketplace and some people feel like they're no, no longer indie but they come from roots with small development teams um and this sits within that monk amongst that group like the indie the indie bundle five where a lot of people would play this from so it's this bastion limbo um wasn't it amnesia and psychonauts i mean so it it, it you know some very very important games and um, from the last couple of years to to be sat there alongside it yeah, and Jim Guthrie's music also can be heard on Indie Game the Movie, which I'm sure anyone who's interested in this podcast would be interested in watching if they haven't already. Um, and yeah, you should also check out Capybara's other games, particularly uh, Critter Crunch and uh, on either iOS and PSN or uh, Heroes of... Um, no, Might and Magic, Clash of Heroes, that's it. Not not Heroes of Might and Magic, that's a very... That's a very mm-hmm. No, and not, not, no, not that. Heroes of Might and Magic is a, an old school RPG, yeah. you can play along with us as ever on Kane and Rince future featured games on the podcast will include next week Darksiders the first one Metal Gear Solid 4 Guns of the Patriots after that then Borderlands Mirror's Edge then Half-Life the start of the Half-Life season Asura's Wrath The Cast of Illusion Quackshot Stroke World of Illusion uh, Trifecta if you like 
the 2012 Syndicate, then Half-Life 2, then Cave Story, Binary Domain, Pac-Man Championship Edition DX with special guest Joysticks Sinan Kuba. Congratulations from everyone at Kana Rince to Sinan for getting that job, which he has been working so hard and so deserved to get, I think. So say all of us, yes? Definitely, absolutely. Absolutely. He's one of the best writers out there. Uh, Half-Life 2 Episodes 1 and 2, and Shenmue 1 and 2. Looking forward to playing those. The month-by-month schedule can be found on the blog. Jay's still working on it. Um, He's making it look pretty and stuff, but uh, there you go. And the blog can be found at canandrinse.com. Quick rinse videos can be found on the blog as well as the YouTube channel. You can follow us on Twitter, which is at Canarince, on Facebook forward slash or Facebook.com forward slash Canarince, and send us an email, which is at Canarince at gmail.com. Your support for us via iTunes subscriptions, reviews, and ratings is massively appreciated. And you can join us and have your say before and after each podcast and any time you fancy it at CharacterSelect.net slash forum. So it just remains for me, Leon Cox, to thank Tony Atkins, James Carter, and Joshua Garrity. And we'll see you next week for some Darksiders. <laughs>